Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. I want to go back. I want to do a little bit of a part two. I wasn't planning on doing a part two, but uh, I felt like last week uh, and looking at the birth of John, uh, that there was some really neat things that, that we were able to pull from that. And then this week, I just kind of felt tugged back in that direction again. And, and uh, I think it's good. So I, and, and we're going to look we're going to look at verses 67 of the first chapter of Luke. And uh, why don't we go ahead and just read, and then you can be seated, 67 through the end. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, if you weren't here last week, in in a minute I'll try to catch you up, but this is all kind of happening all in a row here. There's a lot of events taking place. His father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. And hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from an on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. We're speaking of John, John the Baptist here. And and so God bless you, you may be seated. We're just gonna continue on this idea of it came to pass. So as we look at this, and we're, we're given some more information that I think is powerful uh, and got a lot of stuff wrapped up in it. I'm going to try to see if we can't dig into that a little bit tonight. You'll remember the miraculous nature of John the Baptist's birth. It begins with the miraculous nature of the pregnancy. A couple, which we discussed last year, last Wednesday, Zacharias and Elizabeth, the Bible says, well, stricken with age, never having had a child. It is declared unto them by heaven. Gabriel, the angel, stands in the holy place of God. When Zacharias goes into that place, he stands there before the angel, and the angel tells him that they're going to have a child. And Zacharias finds this a little bit unbelievable, as we all might in such a situation. And he is made mute by reason of doubt. And yet, upon the child's birth, nine months later, he is allowed to speak. And some fascinating things, as we looked at last week, uh, came forth. Mother and father both agree that his name shall be John. 
not because it was the normal cultural thing for them to do at the time. In fact, the crowd around them were all but certain that his name would be Zacharias after his father. But they named him John because that's what the angel had declared was the will of God. It was what heaven wanted. And they were indeed a godly, righteous couple that obeyed the Lord and they did so in this area. So that which begins so miraculously, it's, a, it's quite a story. There's some really cool stuff in there, some mind-blowing activity, and it's, 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 fi- it's filled with uh, mir- miraculous uh, endeavor. But it becomes more natural as it goes uh, towards its close because we get to Luke 157, and it says, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So that's what was supposed to happen. That's the natural thing that happens uh, when a woman becomes pregnant. When the time comes, the full time comes, uh, there the child comes forth. Uh, it is interesting to me just thinking about it in that way. That it started out with a whole lot of stuff. It started out with a lot of uh, hoopla, if I can say it that way. I mean, heaven is involved here, and angels are talking, and 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 dad can't speak, and he's writing on tablets, and and people are very excited because they're too old to be having a child. This has got to be something uh, miraculous here. There's a whole lot of stuff, uh, but then time just goes by. You see what I'm saying? She didn't have the baby next week. That would have been miraculous too. A, A lot of time has to pass. There's a lot of Mondays in there. There's a lot of weekends. There's a lot of, got to, feed the chickens. I don't know. There's stuff. There's stuff they had to do. There's a lot of go to work. There's a lot of get up, go to bed, get up, go to bed. There's a lot of this very normal activity that takes place. And and I just, I thought of it that much of our spiritual growth and much of our, our spiritual progress is in this Fashion. It, it begins miraculously. It begins unexplainably. It changes our lives and our eternities, and we can't hardly fathom the things that God is doing. But but every day with God is is not lived looking for the mind-blowing and the radical for us to stay engaged. I don't get up every day and say, well, God, what trick are you going to perform for me today? What, what thing are you going to do today that just makes me go, wow, that, that was really interesting. And, and, and here, shake the, the ball in front of me and make sure that I've got some sort of activity. His desire is for our lives in him to become the norm. And when I say that, that shouldn't bum you out. You shouldn't be like, I don't want to live a normal life. That sounds boring. I'm bored with that. No, he, he wants us to get to a place with him where our relation with him is, 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 is our normal way of life. You see, faith may be launched at the miraculous. I don't have a problem with that. If your faith was launched at the miraculous, if God did something, we learn from scripture that the, the most of the miracles that Jesus did were, were, were not to save anybody's soul. It was to get people uh, to listen to what he had to say, to his teaching, to his ministry. He wasn't uh, doing the miraculous just to do the miraculous. And so we, we, we have this uh, understanding that my faith may be launched at the miraculous and it might grasp my attention, but it grows and it remains because of the daily disciplines of serving the Lord. 
That's how it grows. That's how it becomes something more, something stronger, because of my daily activity. Now look at Elizabeth. She's, she's the recipient of a miracle for sure. But her role of, of, of being a mother was not made any less because of how it started. Right? She still had to do motherly things. This, the, he, John the Baptist didn't come out of the womb ready to say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He came out, Wah! He came out and a baby. And so uh, uh, her, she's, she's still going to have to raise daily that which came miraculously. Does everybody get that? You have to raise daily that which came miraculously. Zacharias is a priest, but all of a sudden, he becomes a prophet. Look at verse 67 of chapter 1. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying. So, so they, they, they've had the... They, they, the child is born, the nine months has gone by, they've had the child, they have the eight days, and, and, and the, the name has now been declared, and, and he, they're there, and they're doing this dedication-type uh, ceremony, if you will, and, and they're declaring the name. This is all how they did it. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, the, prophet, the, the priest, Zacharias, lifts up his voice and begins to prophesy. But he doesn't just do it, something happens first. He's filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not going to linger on this point, but I'm simply going to state it was after the Holy Ghost that he prophesied. Anyone who would attempt to prophesy anything without the Spirit of God is, frankly, a liar. Just, you just you can't do it. You can't do it. And this is what he says. So that was just a little side note. 68 and 69 of Luke 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, right off the bat, we, we, we see something interesting. He ain't talking about John. He's holding John, perhaps. This day is about John, but he's not talking about John here. Having gone months without the ability to speak, he lifts up his voice not to express months of pent-up emotion, feeling, frustration, anger, not to say, I've been trying to tell you for months. I got an itch right here. Not, not that. But he, having not been able to speak for months, declaring his name shall be John, he goes into glorifying God. He states of this God that he is the Lord God of Israel. There's no confusion over who has been working these miracles. No, there's no confusion on who's behind what is going on right now. There's no doubts as to where this has all come from. No other gods to celebrate or to honor in any way. It is the Lord God of Israel who is to be praised. Very clear, very purposeful. 
When I was reading that, I couldn't help but ask myself this question. If I were to lose my ability to speak that which was in my heart and that which was in my mind, once that ability was restored, what would I say? What would be the first thing out of my mouth? What would I just be bursting forth with? Chewing everybody out? Putting everybody in their place? He says, I want to glorify God. It's interesting that, that as any parent, they would wait with anticipation for John's first words to come about someday, right? Those first words, it's, there's some significance there. And maybe there's a little bit of a competitive nature in your marriage where one's trying to get him to say mom and one's trying to get him to say dad first. And then they end up saying like dog or something. That first word, I don't, it, it holds such meaning to us. And it's, it's interesting to me how badly you want them to say those first words. And then just a mere months later, you're like, I wish they didn't know how to speak at all. But it is, it's important to us, these, these first words. And so, but, but that was the question I had for myself and perhaps for us tonight is if I was rendered mute for a period of time, what would my first words be? Would I want to glorify God? Would I want to sing a song of praise unto the Lord? Would I be just full inside, ready to burst forth with, a, with exaltation for the Lord Jesus? For, he says, he hath visited and redeemed his people. He has come. Now, this is based upon not just, this has nothing to do with John. This is not based upon the conversation that he had with an angel. This is based upon something else that has happened between, uh, uh, the, the, that we didn't just get into last week. And that is that they went, Mary came and visited them. Remember? Mary has come, and she has come to visit them. And when she gets there, there's this really powerful thing that takes place between the two mamas and their two bellies. And, 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 and in that conversation, Mary tells them about the, her own angelic experience. And she tells them about what the angel said about what was in her womb. And it wasn't the same as what uh, that uh, Elizabeth had gotten. It wasn't uh, uh, John. It wasn't uh, uh, just a miraculous child. But this is a virgin birth. There's, you know, there's more going on here. And this is the Messiah that has come. And this is a lot happening. And they've learned all of this uh, in, in time. And so when Zacharias uh, is holding his own baby John, but he begins to talk about how he has visited and redeemed his people and, and and, and he talked about what is happening. This is based upon that conversation that they had with Mary. But it's not just another miracle uh, of pregnancy that he understood. They understood. They, were, they got it. That the visitation uh, of the Lord God of Israel is what they were talking about. That this was the one and the, the only one who could and would redeem the, the people. Hallelujah. And redeemed. It means, it means a ransoming. It, it was going to take care of what the price that needed to be paid. They're saying, this is, the, the Messiah has come. It's not John. It's not, even, it's not even their child. It's not even in the moment yet. It hasn't even come in that way yet. But 
redeemed. He hath visited and redeemed his people. The Gospels of both Matthew and Mark record, Matthew 20, 20 says like this, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. A ransom for many. Zechariah is saying that there's one, there's something else going on here. We're thankful for John, but there's something else going on here. The one who redeemed us is coming. The one who would give his life. Notice, at the birth, pre-birth of Jesus, they're already talking about the fact that he will give his life. We also have 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This was, this was declared while still in Mary's womb. This is declared. This was not simply learned by men as they spent time with Jesus later on. This was prophesied long before uh, the birth of Christ. This is prophesied. This is also why we read the words of Zacharias when he says that he had the Lord God visited and redeemed his people. It doesn't say he will visit us. As soon as Mary has a child, the Lord's going to visit us. And he doesn't say he will redeem us as soon as he grows up and he goes through the process. It says, no, he visited and redeemed his people because he speaks based upon what had been previously prophesied. He is talking about the future based upon his faith in the past. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to grab that tonight. I need somebody to understand that. It's a great lesson for us to learn. Our faith is not about what we see, but what God has said. Amen. We need to get that in life. That's very, very important because there's going to be a lot of things coming, amen, that are going to challenge our faith. And what they're going to do is they're going to challenge what we are seeing. And they're going to say, look, you're not seeing this and you're not seeing that and you've never seen this. And so they're going to challenge our faith. So we got to understand that my faith is not about what I am seeing. My faith is about what God has said. Zechariah says he has redeemed us. Zechariah said he has delivered us. He has ransomed us. Jesus isn't even born yet, but Zechariah is saying it's going to happen. All the prophecies are true. God had already declared Genesis 3, 14, 15. Genesis, the beginning of books. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the beginning of books uh, already prophesying to us uh, that it's going to be of the seed of woman. Uh, amen. That a deliverer, uh, a conqueror is going to come that will step on the head of Satan that will take Satan out, will come. A child will be born. 
Then we get to Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. They're talking about it in Genesis. Isaiah is still prophesying it in 7. Micah says, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, that, that, that Messiah is going to be born here in this area, in this town. It's going to come from this place, Micah prophesies, way before. Not only prophesies of his birth, but his life and his purpose. Isaiah 53 he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and he was esteemed, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed, says the prophet Isaiah in the 53rd chapter, hundreds of years before but it matters still. This is what I'm trying to get us to get. It matters still that maybe just weeks before, somebody's still saying the Messiah is coming. It still matters that someone's still saying it, that someone's still declaring it, that someone still believes it. It is the dedication of the baby John, but it's the proclamation of Jesus. He's holding a miracle baby in his arms, but he's speaking of one that is very soon to be born. And it will be with humble beginnings, and it will be unknown and unnoticed by most. And, 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 but he who comes, the Bible says, fashioned as a servant, will become a king. And so Zechariah says this, he says, 1 and 69, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. A Messiah in the lineage of King David as is prophesied. Jeremiah says in the 23rd chapter, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell of safety. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. A child born of the lineage of David, a kingly lineage. Hallelujah. And there's going to be a horn of salvation, illustrative use of words, words used of God for a long time previous by those who loved and longed for him. Words uh, always connected to his ability to save us. Words like the psalmist used in the 18th Psalm, 2 and 3, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies, says the psalmist in the Old Testament. There's a horn of salvation, and Zechariah is holding John 
talking about Jesus, declaring him to be a horn of salvation. The horn of salvation was as an emblem. It represented strength. It represented glory. It represented power. There were connections to it as an emblem, but it was also used as a connection to a place of refuge and a place of protection, as were the horns of the altar, where someone might be able to run to, grab hold of the horns of the altar and find shelter, safety, and refuge at that place. Amen. So what does it mean when, the prof, when, when the, this priest becoming a, a prophet declares at the, at, 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 over John speaking of Jesus that he is a horn of salvation unto us? It means that Jesus is going to be a new altar, hallelujah, that I can run to and grab a hold of and there can be blood applied to my life and I can have a place of refuge and safety because I know the old altar's dead and I know the priesthood's gonna be gone but I'm still gonna need some place where I can run to and Zacharias said just hold on a little bit longer because there's another birth about to take place and it will be the horn of our salvation oh hallelujah a new altar where the guilty and the sinful can run And he spake out of the mouth. This is Luke 170. Now we go, he's speaking still. Zechariah says, he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. He's talking about Jesus. And he reminds everybody that's there, everybody that can hear him speak, he reminds them in those few verses, this is not a new thing. This, this is a long prophesied event that's finally about to come to pass. Oh, hallelujah. And it's important, you see, it's important that it's the priest that's declaring this to the people. It matters for him to be saying it. They've heard this. They've heard it. They've talked to each other about it. But for the priest to stand up and say, this is coming quickly. This is about to happen. This matters. I mean, the only reason why Zacharias is really able even to do it and really even has the confidence and boldness to do it is because of what he's just gone through with John. I, I don't, I'm not trying to disparage a man I never met, but it's a whole lot easier to believe Mary's story. By the way, right? Oh, no, I'm, I'm a virgin still. I'm, I know I'm pregnant, but no, Joseph, no, this isn't. This is God's baby. If you didn't know the story, if you were Related to her then, would you have believed her? Probably not, unless you just had an angel show up and tell you your wife. This is why this matters so much. Because we talk about John the Baptist so much as, as the forerunner of Christ, but we always talk about it in the sense of when he's a grown man. But he's already doing it. 
It's already taking place. He's already preparing the way. He's preparing. This baby has prepared his own father to be able to stand up in front of everybody and say, the prophecies of old about the Messiah are about to come to pass. Oh, hallelujah. You know the ones that we've been hearing since the world began? You know the ones that about him saving us from our enemies and from the hand of those that hate us? You know the ones that where he promised mercy to our fathers or where he would remember the covenant that he once had with father, our father Abraham? You remember those? That's all about to happen. So he tells everybody, it's not a new thing. It's, it's a long prophesied event finally coming to pass. And I can't help, I just can't help but mention that we preached on Sunday twice, actually. We preached about God's return, which is a long prophesied event that will someday come to pass. And they were people who believed and by faith waited for the Messiah to come. And we are people who believe and wait by faith for Jesus to return. And one day they didn't have to wait any longer. And that just does something for me. It just reminds me that one day I'm not going to have to wait any longer. Oh, hallelujah. He says we should be saved from our enemies and the hand of all that hate us. We will receive the mercy that we need. You see, Jesus came to save us from our enemies and ourselves. How many are thankful for that? We need both his protection and his forgiveness. We should be saved from our enemies and the hand of all that hate us. His protection and his forgiveness. This, is, this was the only way they could achieve what they longed for. Look, he, he puts into words what they longed for in verses 74 and 75. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. That's what they longed for. That's what they wanted. They wanted to serve God without fear. They wanted to serve him in holiness and righteousness. And, and I read that and I think, man, I'm so glad God put that in there. Because I get so weary of people trying to connect a holy living to something people just do because, that, because they're afraid and because that's, that's what they're told to do and what people command them to do and because they're forced to do it. And it makes me sick because I've never met an apostolic preacher in my whole life that took it to that level with anybody. But I'm thankful that I see a people, hallelujah, in my Bible that said, all we really want is the Messiah to come because if he comes, we'll be able to serve him without fear and we'll be able to live holy and we'll be able to live righteous and we'll be able to do the things that our hearts really long to do. They wanted to serve him. They wanted to live for him this way. This was the desire of their heart. 
but it was not the ability of their life. Do you understand? This is why they longed for the Messiah. It wasn't just for something new. They wanted to live for the Lord the way that they felt it inside of them. There was something inside of them going all the way back to those who believed in a city whose builder and maker was God, but they did not yet receive the promise. But there was something inside of them that longed for more, more relationship, more connection. They wanted more in their, in, in their, their, their interactions with God. And the law, the law could not accomplish in them. That was the problem. The law could not accomplish this. It didn't bring about that type of relationship, but Jesus could. Jesus could bring about that type of relationship. And they could live that way and serve him in that way. Oh, hallelujah. So, so many people looking for ways to accomplish in their life what they long to be. They're looking for ways to become the person that they kind of dream or even daily would fantasize about becoming this person. They look at every way and everything to become what they desire, a better person, living a better life, having more personal value, having more life purpose, and it can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found in Jesus. And then, so he's, he declares him the horn of our salvation and declares he's restoring this relationship. He's bringing it back. This, this, he's fulfilling the promises, this covenant that he has made with his people. It's all about to come to pass. He's declaring all this. And then he returns, perhaps, to the child that's actually in his hands. In verses 76 and 77, he says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. John, you're going to have a heavenly life purpose. And it's going to be connected to Jesus. And he would declare in Luke 3, 2 and 3, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness, and he came into all the country about Jordan. This is when, this is when uh, John is older and he comes into his ministry. He comes into the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. His father declares it over him as a child. Not just his whim, not just his want, not just what he thinks his child should be. He declares what heaven has already said. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. God, help us when we're trying to raise up a next generation that we speak over them, not that which we want, but we speak over them that which God wants for them. And so he declares over his child what God has declared him to be. And he says this is what he's going to do. And years later, we find him doing exactly that. 
He has his heavenly life purpose. It's connected to Jesus. He would call people to analyze themselves, to be honest about their sinful ways. He would not just point it out and speak of some coming destruction. Prophet after prophet after prophet through the Old Testament was given command by God to say, this is sin, and this is sin, and this is sin, and you need to repent or destruction is going to come. You're going to be destroyed. This is all going to pestilence and disease. It's going to be wiped out. You're going to be conquered by a nation, prophet after prophet, told, tell them what they're doing, show them their sins, and tell them destruction is coming. But he comes on the scene, and he doesn't just point it out, and he doesn't just speak of destruction, and he, but he challenges them to do something about it in the moment, right now, at this river, standing here today. You need to do something about your sinful conditions. Repent, 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 repent. And all the Old Testament prophets had tried to call them to repentance. But something is happening because he's the one right before. They all had to do it. They didn't know. I'm sure it would be cruel, probably. Although we'd, I guess some of them were told it would be, some of them were, it's going to be 70 years before. <laughs> Tell them 70 years. That would be fun, wouldn't it? to tell a group of people that, yeah, you're going to be delivered in 70 years. If you only had maybe 20 years to live, you're probably not super excited about that. But so many of them, they had to, they had to declare this and they had to do this, but the people that were not responding, and the Messiah was not about, it, was, it wasn't, the Messiah wasn't coming at that time. But now he is. He already exists by this point. He's already born. He's already grown. In fact, he might just be a little bit down the shoreline today. He's saying, repent. And he challenged them. Look at John the Baptist. Look what he does. He challenged them on their traditional belief that their lineage was enough. Look at Luke 3, 7 and 8. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That's good preaching right there. Generation of vipers, who told you you need, to, you need to flee from the wrath? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Do something worthy of repentance with your life. Do something valuable. Do something meaningful. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Don't talk to me about how you can trace your family tree back to Abraham. God doesn't care. He can raise up these stones if he wants to. We begin to see John's purpose. He's starting to see what his purpose is. He's brash. He's bold. He's loud. He dresses funny. He comes from the wilderness. He wasn't the guy. He did, they didn't see him hanging around the market. He wasn't always at, by the, the places. He would always just kind of show up from the wilderness, and he would be something startling, something shocking. We begin to start to see what his purpose is, the role that God has chosen for him, someone to shake things up, someone to stir people, to cause them to question their own confidence, 
in their faith, to question their own belief systems. She's been called by God. And he says, and now, Luke 3 and 9, also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. It's strong language. It's strong, bold, you better wake up now language. And we start to see this is his purpose. This is why he came. This is why he was born. This is why this, this is the plan of God is to get people to wake up out of their stupor, out of their ruts of life, out of their overconfidence in their family tree. And it's strong and it's bold and it's in their face. And they can't help but listen to him when he speaks. And Luke 3.10 shows us that it's strong language, but it leads to the correct response when they say, and the people ask him saying, what shall we do then? Oh, do you realize everything we've been talking about for the last two weeks now is to get to that point. He's not going to override their will. He's not going to make them into a bunch of robots and just do what. He's, all of this is designed to get them to the point when they will say, then what do we need to do? To get humanity, to get people overconfident in themselves or people who had really gotten maybe away from correct worship to people who weren't really paying attention as they should be paying attention to say, what shall we do? A life sent to prepare the way for Christ. And I can't help it. And I'm sure some of you did the same exact thing when I read that question. It brings about a question that is reminiscent of something that we know today and something that would come a little while later on that day of Pentecost when, with Peter preaching and he challenges them on their, on their past and he challenges them on their belief and he talks about David and he talks about some of the former prophets and then he calls them out for killing Jesus and he says, you did this to him and he challenges them and the Bible tells us you know it Acts 2 and 37 they were what they were pricked in their hearts because a bold man got up and preached amen a challenging word to them and they ended up saying what shall we do and that was still to come that was after a death a burial and a resurrection of Jesus but first John but first John 3, 5, and 6 of Matthew then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. He was everywhere. John was everywhere. He was over here, and he was over there, and he's over here. And when they went to this river to get water, he's there. And when they brought their horses over here, he's there. He's just always there. And I could just see him walking up, and there's John. And there he goes, and he just rips into preaching, baby. And he's just like, you got to get this together. You better get it right. This thing is rad. You, you know, you're, you can't rely on your lineage. You can't be saying this. You're not even going to church anymore. Your faith is so far gone. You're practically dead. You're like zombies walking around. Wake up. And he's just getting them, getting them, getting them. He's just hitting them. And what is it doing? They confess their sins. They confess their sins. They're baptized in the Jordan and they're confessing their sins. 
You see, it's very difficult for anyone to apply or even to care to apply a gospel to their life if they are not first willing to confess. What good is a gospel if I don't think I need it? What good is a savior if I think I'm fine? What good is it for me to hear repent if I don't think I've sinned? But you got a John the Baptist who comes first and he gets them to look themselves in the mirror and analyze their own behavior and confess their sins. They were a people living as if they were already saved. They, they were a people living off the remnants of their forefathers' relationships, and it showed in their lives, and it showed in their lack of true humility, and it showed in their lack of servanthood, and it showed in their lack of worship and some of their nonsensical worship, and it showed in their idolatry. But John came to wake them up, lest they miss Jesus altogether. Think about it. Think about it. Where does he go? Where does Jesus first go? Where John is. Why does he go to where John is? It, this is God in flesh. He's come here to do what he's come here to do. Can he just go anywhere? No, he can't just go anywhere. He has to go where John is because of what John's been doing, preparing the way. it's going to come to pass, it's going to come to pass because God's plan is carried out the way God said for it to be carried out. So he goes to where John was because that's where people were who had been shaken and woken. Do you ever ask yourself this question? How much of what we go through in life is simply sent by God mercifully to wake us up so that we don't miss Jesus. How much? How much is God just saying, get up, wake up, right? How much is it? You say, I don't know why God's shaking everything. I don't know why God's messing with everything. I don't know why everything's so challenging and everything's so difficult. And, and I, this is very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Could it possibly be that we were we might miss Jesus. He might show up to do what he was going to do, and we're not ready. And we're not prepared to hear him. And I'm talking about the rapture, but I'm talking about more than the rapture. You have to understand that God is wanting to do things in your life and mine every single day. He's wanting to use us as vessels every single day. And sometimes he has to shake us and wake us up lest we miss the plan of God for the day. The purpose. There's a purpose and so sometimes John has to show up. 
And that's what he's there for. And he's talking about the remission of sins. And the remission of sins, the, 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 I mean, he's talking about the, the confessing of their sins. And he has to talk about the confessing of their sins because, because Jesus is going to come. And there's going to be a gospel. His life is going to show them there's a way that they can find the remission of sins. Not just the confessing, but the washing, the cleansing. It would not come of John. It would come of Christ. In Luke 1, 7, 8, and 79, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus, it's Jesus. Now, he's not talking about John now. He switched back to Jesus. You gotta, you gotta keep up. He's prophesying under the Holy Ghost. He's talking, he says, it's Jesus that gives both the light to see and the direction to go. It's Jesus who leads us out of death and darkness and into peace. It's Jesus who can take us to these places. But sometimes we need John. You and I, hear me now as I'm closing, you and I can never be Jesus. But we could be John. You understand what I'm saying? We can't be Jesus. That's, but we can be John. We, we cannot save, but we can lead people to salvation. We cannot remit sins, but we can talk to people about confessing our faults one to another. And we can, we can discuss with people and love on people and point them to Calvary. We can't be Jesus. We can't die on the cross. We're not perfect, but we can be John. We can say, look, hey man, you got to get ready because he's coming. You got to get ready. You can't be relying on that stuff you're relying on, trusting in that stuff you're trusting on. Hey man, you got to be ready. And the child grew, last verse, and the child grew, and he waxed strong in spirit. It was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Naturally, the child grew. That's natural. That happens naturally. But spiritually, he waxed strong in spirit. Amen. So this, this is important for us because, because we grow naturally. Right? We grow naturally. But if we want to wax strong in spirit, we find out how we did it. He lived a separated life. Right? He lived a separated life where he was free to learn and to grow unhindered by the things of the world that he lived in. He didn't concern himself with all of the things and all the stuff and all the nonsense. He didn't get wrapped up in everything that was going on. Now, I'm not telling you to move out into the wilderness. But spiritually, you understand what I'm saying? There's a separation that takes place that must take place. There's a separate life that must be lived if we want to be a John. If we want to grow strong in spirit. If we want that. 
There's a separation that has to take place. If we want to fulfill God's purpose in our life, if we want to be what God has called us to be, there's some, always going to be something we have to separate ourselves from. There's always going to have to be some things that we don't wrap up, get wrapped up in, nonsense that we don't touch. A life formed and fashioned by the will of God, a life chosen and challenged to fulfill a powerful purpose to get people to Jesus. You and I can be John. You and I can be John. Stand with me if you would, please. And it came to pass. It did. It came to pass. It actually did. John was born. Jesus was born. It all, it all happened. Just like all those prophets said it would, it all came to pass. And it came to pass there so it could come to pass here. It can't be just something that happened here in the book. It has to come to pass in my life, in my heart. It's for me. It's to save me. It's also that I might become who I'm supposed to become and ultimately, we all have a universal call to lead people to Jesus. No matter what we do different, no matter what specific ministries and different talents and giftings we have, every one of us universally have a purpose to lead people to, Jesus, to prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? So you might... You and I can't be Jesus, but we could be John. And that is part, a valuable part, a part you cannot take out of the story. I could have spent two Wednesday nights talking about all of the stuff that's intertwined with these, these verses that's specifically about Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But if you remove John, it doesn't work. If you remove Jesus, it doesn't work. You have a role, I have a role, we all have a role. Amen. How many think it would be good if we could fulfill that role and please God and lead more people to Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.